You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, whtt.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about the phrase, blessed are the peacemakers. And that's one of our favorite phrases here at We Hold These Truths. We've been using that slogan at our vigils for almost 14 years now, since late 2002 well before the Gulf War started, uh, the second one in Iraq in 2003. And so we want to talk about this concept. Blessed are the peacemakers actually comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And this is found in the book of Matthew, the fifth chapter, and verses 8 and 9. It says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, the word blessed comes from the Greek word makarios, which also is translated happy, which uh, some people like and I think is is kind of an interesting twist uh, to it. It's our duty as Christians to look at what does this concept of blessed are the peacemakers mean, does it only mean that it applies to our personal beings? What got me uh, thinking about this was a daily devotional by theologian R.C. Sproul, and it was called Purity and Peacemaking. And here's a summary here of what he said. Quote, in both the church and the world, contention and strife are to follow in our wake. By the Holy Spirit, we are sons of God and partake of his nature. Since our Father loves peace so much that he sent his Son to reconcile himself to his people, we have not partaken of his nature and cannot claim to be Christians if we are not peacemakers. We must be willing to put ourselves and our desires in second place to make peace as long as we do not compromise essential biblical truths. Make peace today where you have caused strife. And we've seen so much strife being caused by by Christians, well-meaning in Christians, supporting these serial wars that the United States operates and where thousands, millions of people are being killed at the hands and where we seem to avoid the idea of, of peacekeeping. I wanted to read a few other quotes here. This was a compilation of some quotations that was compiled in Christianity Today. And just read a a few of these. Quote, the followers of Jesus have been called to peace. When he called them, they found their peace, for he is their peace. But now they are told that they must now not only have peace, but make it. And to that end, they renounce all violence and tumult. And that was by Dietrich Bonhoeffer the cost of discipleship, and he was the German that resisted uh, Hitler and wound up paying for his life. Here's another quote from John R.W. Stott, the message of the Sermon on the Mount. Quote, 
Now, peacemaking is a divine work, for peace means reconciliation, and God is the author of peace and of reconciliation. It is hardly surprising, therefore, that the particular blessing which attaches to peacemakers is that they shall be called sons of God, for they are seeking to do what their Father has done, loving people with his love. And then another quote from Glenn Stassen and David Gushy, Kingdom Ethics, quote, being a peacemaker is part of being surrendered to God, for God brings peace. We abandon the effort to get our needs met through the destruction of enemies. God comes to us in Christ to make peace with us, and we participate in God's grace as we go to our enemies to make peace. And from uh, Jim Forrest, the latter of the Beatitudes, no one has ever converted by violence, meaning converting people to Christianity. And then here's a kind of an interesting one. I don't even know if uh, Kurt Vonnegut, he's an author, this was cold turkey, quote, many Christians demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. Blessed are the merciful in a courtroom. Blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon. That's quite a quote. And the last one here, making peace makes us God's children and kin to each other. That was by Michael H. Crosby, Spirituality of the Beatitudes. And we've seen so much in our challenging Christian Zionist churches and the likes of Christian prominent Christian Zionists like John Hagee, who has actually prayed for war and called for preemptive strikes on Iran, which seems to me would be counter to what Jesus taught and the whole concept of peacemaking. Yeah, I'd like to jump in with uh, Romans 12, Tom, titled under the heading of uh, Marks of the True Christian, picking up at uh, verse 14 of, uh, of chapter 12 of Romans. It says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. So it's just another another place in the New Testament where it's calling to be peaceable. And I, I like that where it says, if possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So don't retaliate. Don't take up the sword against somebody just because they offended you or something. I see that Christians have picked up the war mantle. And I, I'm trying to get why in the world would this happen in the church? And we were talking early before we started the podcast here about how this goes way back to the early, early church days. And I'm even thinking uh, about 1000 A.D., where St. Anselm took up the mantle of the, the penal substitution of the atonement, where this violent God took out his wrath on Jesus instead of us, and it started to build this notion of, of redemptive violence. Somehow, violence can be redemptive 
and accomplish good in some form. And we see that being continued on through you know, generation after generation after generation, and our generation is no different. The thought that you can, you can raise your hand, have a legal transaction taken place, you know, that I guess I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Okay, that's done. That's a legal transaction, and now I can live the way I want to. It's not the inner transformation of the, the Prince of Peace taking up residence in our hearts and actually changing us from the inside out so that collectively we become uh, ministers of peace to those around us. So uh, to me, this, this goes way, way deep. We saw the problems of this in the first century church, and it, things haven't changed. Very good, Greg. This is Chuck. Jesus, of course, lived in a time of occupation. He lived under an occupation his whole life. The Roman occupation of Palestine at that time was perhaps less brutal than the Israeli occupation of Palestine today, but it was the same principle that uh, the captors had the power of life and death over all the subjects, and you were automatically a subject. So the crucifixion, of course, was a Roman device that they used to control provinces where they had problems. So Jesus' discussions of these Beatitudes all surround the idea of love of brother, as Craig has pointed out so well. And Jesus, of course, stressed love of enemy as well. But this is not circumventing the idea of literal peace. There are those who try to make the case that Jesus is talking about peace of mind and inner peace. And in fact, the translation of the word blessed, as Tom pointed out, is glad or happy. So Jesus was saying that being a peacemaker is part and parcel of being a Christ follower. And it does talk about the rewards for the Christ followers in the Beatitudes. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they, the prophets, who were before you. So that's verse 12 of this passage. However, I can remember years ago sermons that were preached about from the Beatitudes. But in recent years, in our war years, that have started in the last 20 or 25 years, I cannot think of a single sermon that I have heard preached from this passage, including Blessed Are the Peacemakers. I, I just don't hear it anymore. It's kind of the most avoided passages in the book because it brings you starkly up against the idea that we are a people in war. And uh, we've been at war since the first bombing of Iraq in 1991. It's really never stopped. And not only are we a people at war, but we are the occupiers, just as the Romans were the occupiers during Jesus' time, and the Israelis are the occupiers there today. So I believe that these verses are an embarrassment to uh, the Christian Zionist crowd who wants to be strong and powerful and patriotic, let's say, and, and who just doesn't want to come out and be put in a position where someone might ask them, well, what about our servicemen? When are we going to bless them? Or what about the need for these wars that we're in? Are Christians supposed to be at peace when there's a, a need for a war, when we're under assault from ISIL or someone like that? And I just sense that that's not preached much. Chuck, one thing you brought up about the inner peace, I think that comes 
part and parcel with our individualistic American culture because the scriptures were not given individually. They were given more collectively. And you see that as the church, especially that became formed in Acts chapter 2 and so forth, there was a collectivism that it was a, a cohesive unit. And so together the church became the body of Christ. And so the church should be collectively the peacemakers. It's not just an inner peace that we can just grab on ourselves and it's just me and Jesus. No, it's me and Jesus and Chuck and Tom and, and all, all of us together representing Jesus to the world. When you look at the church, you should see collective peacemakers. And that's exactly what we're talking about here tonight is that you, the church is, is so fragmented, very little of uh, the collective peacemakers are visible. Americans have been conditioned to accept these wars. Politicians say what people want to hear, and you've got people like Ted Cruz who is ready to go fight Iran and bomb ISIL, and so you've got all these warlike candidates. The Democrats have got the same situation, you know, so they're telling people what they want to hear, and there seems to be a disconnect between what Jesus taught us with Christians anyway. Uh, That's the thing that amazes me. And then this one quote here I thought was kind of interesting from a book written by a professor entitled The Devil You Know is a Surprising Link Between Conservative Christianity and Crime. Well, that goes off into some other uh, areas, but she says right here, quote, that Christian right do not even love the country as they think that the U.S. is something of a modern-day Sodom and Gomorrah. Well, they, a lot of Christians think that, but on the other hand, this concept of exceptionalism, that America is an exceptional, and because we're so good, we uh, we need to be the policemen of the world, and we need to support our government, and all these military serial wars around the world, and people don't, don't seem to see that as a dichotomy. They don't analyze this because of all this conditioning. There was some conditioning that went on in the Schofield Reference Bible in the notes to these uh, Beatitudes. Number one note on page uh, 997 of the 1967 Schofield Reference Bible is referring to uh, Matthew 5.3. And in this sermon, our Lord, this is the Schofield Reference Bible speaking now, in this sermon, our Lord confirms the Mosaic law of the Old Testament, theocracy kingdom as the governing code, his coming kingdom on earth, verses 517, and declares that the attitude of men toward the law will determine their place in the kingdom. These words sound kind of confusing, and uh, the truth is they are, because what they're saying is that Jesus was not preaching the new theology of our covenant. He was instead going back and teaching Mosaic law of the Old Testament about thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, and so on. This is what essentially is telling us. So they sort of take this passage away from Jesus and suggest that he's actually reviewing the Old Testament when he talks about this. Uh, This is not so. What Jesus is doing is he is telling us what the new covenant is and what's expected of us under the new covenant. And Schofield sort of makes an effort to uh, sort of skew that to make it sound like uh, this is a, this is sort of a review, a, a review history before Jesus goes on with what he really has to say. A good point, Chuck, yes. 
So this is one reason perhaps that evangelical pastors, when they're busy uh, getting ready to do a sermon, they skip over the Beatitudes and, and they don't preach from those, at least. I haven't heard anybody say that they've heard a, a sermon on this lately. I, I sure haven't. That's a good point. But it's all the, the reason for us to attempt to be peacemakers. We know that there really has been peace. Uh, one of these uh, articles about Jesus the peacemaker uh, had kind of an interesting thought. It is estimated that in all the history of humanity, less than 8% of recorded history can be described as times of peace. In the last 32 centuries, there have been fewer than 300 years of peace. Historians tell us that within the last 300 years, there have been 286 wars in Europe alone. And just in the past century, in the 20th century and now 21st century, literally millions, over 100 million easily have been killed. So it's our duty to at least stand up and at whatever level we can be peacemakers and so that we can reflect to others that true Christians should be reflecting this whole concept of being a peacemaker. Tom, here's a verse at the end of uh, verse 20 in the same chapter of of Matthew, which uh, I take as a continuation, in which Jesus sort of sums up uh, that he's not giving the ancient history lesson what the ancient Israelites used to teach, but he actually is giving the new theology. And he says in verse 20, For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's verse 20 of uh, the same chapter 5, in which the attitudes are. So I believe a pointed sermon from Jesus, and he meant every word of it. Well, I just, as you mentioned, not enter the kingdom of heaven. And in other places, I don't have the passage in front of me, Jesus says the kingdom was among you. And as we surrender our lives to Jesus, and our lives are filled with the Holy Spirit, and we are empowered by him, that holy kingdom does come among us, and collectively, like I mentioned earlier, that kingdom gets lived out in this world. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening, and we would ask you to please become a peacemaker and continue to be a peacemaker. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcasts. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also, at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.